I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm thrilled to have our next guest here. We have Bismarck Lepe, who is the founder and CEO of WiseLine. And if you don't know what WiseLine is, you definitely need to hear all about it. And I'm so impressed with Bismarck. I actually met Bismarck as he was going through the EY Entrepreneurship Awards program, Uh and which he'll talk a little bit more, I think, about as well. He was a finalist for the 2020 for Northern California, so really, really impressive. So he is so incredibly impressive that I had to reach out to him and get him on the podcast. And as I mentioned, he is uh, with WiseLine, the company that he founded, but he's also the CEO of. And before that, he was part of what I kind of think of as the first batch of incredible, soon-to-be entrepreneurs that left Google, uh, ready to take on the world, or I should say, take the world by storm. And he did that. His first startup was a company, I'm probably not going to pronounce it exactly right, but Uyala. So uh, it's, it's, perfect. Perfect. it's perfect. Perfect. There you go. <laughs> Which was an online video platform company that he built from zero to uh, over $400 million exit. Incredible. And like I said, WiseLine is a company you should definitely know about. It's a global product development company that has kind of an interesting um kind of differentiation there that is uh, the tech ecosystem of Guadalajara is involved in this. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about what WiseLine does to really help clients and uh, very, very excited to have you here, Bismarck. Well, Kara, I'm incredibly excited to be here. And I was really excited when I saw your email uh, when you reached out. You know, we had the opportunity to meet during the EY Entrepreneur of the Year event, and and so I, I'm glad to to hang out with another fellow Marin resident. Yes, very very cool. So so let's get into a little bit about your background. Let's start at the beginning. So I'd love to get a picture of who Bismarck was as a kid. I mean, what did you know that you were going to be an entrepreneur? So my parents are from a little village uh, in Mexico, just outside of Guadalajara, kind of central Mexico. And uh, they came to the U.S. as migrant field workers, uh, but always had, had and placed an importance on education. And so until I was seven, we would live between Mexico, Southern California, Central California, Washington State, and then back to Mexico every single year. And then when I turned seven, my parents felt that it was probably not going to benefit my academic career if we kept moving around. So we settled down in Southern California uh, and uh, I grew up there. And my my parents 
never had professional jobs, but as I mentioned, they placed uh, an incredible importance on education. Um, they told me, look, if you need tutors, if you need a computer, whatever you need, we'll work two, three, four jobs in order to be able to provide you with that. And sure enough, when I was in second grade, the year they made $13,000, they bought me a $3,000 computer. So I owe everything to them and, and their hard work and dedication. That's amazing. Who did you think that you wanted to be when you grew up? Well, it's, it's funny. Um, I learned to speak English again, going with my parents uh, we spoke Spanish. Spanish is my first language. And I learned to speak English uh, watching Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers, and Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And so there was always this idea, and, and Dallas every now and then, which was probably, I, sh- I shouldn't have been watching it with my parents, but that's what I was watching. Yeah. And all of these people were entrepreneurs. So I feel like I always have this bug to start something. That's I love it. That's so great. So you... As you were growing up, you're in Southern California. You, I guess, decided that you were going to go to college and and, uh, you ended up at Stanford. So that brought you up to Northern California and then ultimately ended up working at Google then. So share a little bit more about how you started thinking about, you know, after after school. I mean, what were you going to be doing? Well, I guess first and foremost, there was never a question whether or not I, w- I would go to college. My my parents didn't understand what a state school versus a university versus a junior college. Like they didn't understand how that worked. And uh, when I got into Stanford, my mom was actually like, of, of course, you got into Stanford. Like you're a top student. You're a great athlete. You're president of all these extracurricular activities. And I tried to explain to her, I'm like, it's kind of a big deal. It wasn't until like many years later that I think a lot of people were like, wow, your son goes to Stanford, that I think she realized she's like, yeah, I feel kind of bad minimizing the fact that he got into Stanford. By the time my brother got in, it's like, oh, that's kind of a... How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works, and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn, quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. 
no English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. Kind of a big deal. But when I, um, on my way to Stanford, uh, again, one tries to, to mimic and copy the people uh, that they know. And the person who was most successful uh, that I knew closely uh, is my uncle, or at the time was my uncle, who's an orthopedic surgeon, and he started a hospital in Manzanillo, Mexico. It's a Hmm. little resort town, uh, and he had done really well. Uh, His kids always had the best toys, so I'm like, well, he's done well. I'm going to go do well and do good and be a doctor. Uh, But I got to the Bay Area to the Silicon Valley in 98, kind of with all of the excitement of 
of the dot-coms and the internet. And I just fell prey to the capitalist machine that is the Silicon Valley. Uh, and so although um, I was going to school, I, I, I did switch my major. I majored in economics and start, studied computer science, but I, I really spent the majority of my time working at different tech companies, different startups. And one of those startups that I worked at was a company called Elance. And it shared two board members with Google, Ram Sriram and John Doerr. And when Google launched their advertising platform, uh, they invited me to come in and be their first advertiser, their first mm -hmm. customer. And so I ended up getting to know the company really, really well. And uh, when I was about to graduate, they came to me and they said, hey, you should come work at Google. You know the platform better than our engineers and product managers. And I'm like, uh, no, I think I'll stay at Elance. <laughs> they've treated me really well. I've been able to pay for school. And I, I used to go into the office at two o'clock in the morning and work until 9 a.m. and then go back to school from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. and go back to the office. I'm like, they've been great. And the head of sales says, uh, we're doing $650,000 of revenue a day with 96 employees. I'm like, you're right. I should go work. You should go there. And so um, what were you doing at Google then? Uh, so I, I initially started off as a kind of a sales engineer. Uh, building tools for the big customers and the sales organization. And then I moved into the product organization, working on uh, a lot of the monetization products. Uh, so initially, all of the ads that appeared on search results. And as Google's business got a little more interesting, uh, image ads and eventually click-to-play video ads, which uh, led me down the path of helping YouTube become monetizable after Google acquired YouTube in October of 2006. Wow. Such an interesting time to be there for sure. I mean, it's uh, what, what sort of surprised you about, I mean, I'm just thinking about that time that you were there. I mean, what watching that company grow uh, to you know, from the time that you started until the time that you left? I mean, what was probably the most surprising? Well, you, you have to remember, my parents didn't come from the corporate world. Yeah. And so the, the only thing I knew about the corporate world was whatever I saw on TV. Uh, and so my, my growing up in the 80s, Wall Street, greed is good. And the, the best you can hope for is that you only have 20 years of being kind of at the bottom of the totem pole and, and other people treating you poorly. So eventually you can become that person at the top of the totem pole to treat other people poorly. And I get to Google and it's completely different. Yeah. I was fed breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. It was truly a meritocracy. And you Ideas had hints. come from everywhere. Plenty of hint. <laughs> a, a lot of hint, a lot of hint water. And it just changed my perspective. It changed my perspective so much that for a while there, I'm like, I just hope Google fails because this is not preparing me for the real world. The real world is not like this. But I, I think eventually I came to the realization that the real world is whatever you make of it. And I what Google that. was doing in treating people well, allowing ideas to float up and become products and businesses from everywhere um, is really the best way in order to run and build a fast-growing company. You need to push the decision-making out to the edges. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that you were you were there definitely at the right time. It's uh, it sounds like a very very exciting journey. So you left and you started your first startup, Uyala. Uh, did I pronounce it right? You know, Uyala is one of those names that was just not that great. And it's like, 
Is it Uyala? Is it Uyala? Is it one of those things like, hey, your Uyala is showing? Like, it was just not a good name, but we we ended up with it and uh, it, it worked out just fine. The, you know, the origin story of the name was that it means cradle in uh, Tagalog, oh. um, or Telugu, sorry, in Indian, Indian language. And we like the idea like cradle of innovation. And my co-founder's girlfriend's like, no, it's like, it actually means swing bed and like swinging and like monkeys and you guys are code monkeys. And I'm like, oh, then we hired an early marketer and she's like, look, this is what we're going to say. The origin story is of Uyala. Yahoo had the double O's at the end. Google had them in the middle and Uyala has them at the front. And we are just the obvious connection point of all of those successful internet companies. I love it. So I think that that's probably the one that is sometimes right, but it wasn't, it wasn't the the best name, but we started that company because we identified a problem when we were at Google. Uh, Again, at Google was fantastic because we got visibility into a lot of secular changes that were happening in pop culture and in business. And one of them was the idea of streaming. So Google acquired YouTube in October of 2006. Prior to Google acquiring YouTube, YouTube was the center of piracy. You could find anything and everything you could ever want on YouTube. And as a result, all of the media companies had come out publicly saying that they were going to sue YouTube. Viacom had a lawsuit for a billion dollars. So Google acquires YouTube. Now Viacom has a lawsuit against Google for a billion dollars. But what was interesting was publicly, Google was getting scrutinized for owning YouTube. But privately, we were holding meetings with the executives at all of those media companies, and they wanted to figure out how they could use and leverage YouTube as a promotional and marketing channel. And technically, they wanted to figure out how they could launch their own streaming service. Because back in 2006 and 2007, when we started Uyala, Netflix wasn't streaming. Apple wasn't streaming. Nobody was streaming. Right. Um, and so we identified that opportunity when we were at Google, and that's why we started Uyala. And who did you sell it to? We ended up selling it to uh, one of our strategic investors hmm. uh, who came in in 2012, Telstra. Uh, they're a one of the biggest telcos in the world, uh, primarily focused on Australia. Oh, so interesting. And then you took a little time off, uh, not too much, and uh, decided to start WiseLine. So tell us a little bit about that. So WiseLine, the name of the company is Wisdom of Crowds and Above and Below the Line. Hmm. So one of the things that I saw at Google was as the company grew, it became harder and harder to build products for the market uh, because you inevitably had heads of sales in different regions who wanted something different for each one of their customers. The product teams felt like product direction should go in a certain way. Engineers maybe wanted to go and solve an interesting technical problem. Um, And eventually, and this is very true for the the entire software industry, between 60 and 90% of the software that is invested in, I think lines of code that that are written, are going to products that are never used, never sold, or never completed. And so we saw that there was a lot of waste at Google. Google didn't really matter because Google figured out a legal way to print money. At Uyala, 
we had the same problem, except we didn't have the little money maker, and it ended up really hurting the culture and it、hmm. slowed down decision making. So the idea behind Wiseline was to build a platform that would help companies get better products to market faster by removing the ego of product prioritization and really focusing on the numbers. We say, you know, the numbers will set you free. So companies could build for markets and not individual customers or the opinions of individuals in in the boardroom. So interesting. And then the aspect of getting talent, and you have part of your company in Guadalajara. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So in 2009,、um, after we realized that we were going to survive, so we we got very close within three days of running out of capital. Um, but we we signed a term sheet with a venture capitalist and invested ten million dollars, and、uh, it saved the company. But as we were going through the process of of doing that round, we realized, all right, the VCs are going to start to invest、mm-hmm. again. And in the Silicon Valley, if you remember two thousand eight, two thousand nine, the economic crises,、um, there weren't a lot of VCs that were writing checks. Nope. That said, Twitter was growing. Facebook was growing. Google had a lull, but was continuing to grow. Apple had released the iPhone at the beginning of 2007, and so they were starting to scale the business. And so it had been difficult during an economic downturn to hire and retain talent. We knew it was going to become impossible to do it once VCs started writing checks again. And so we hired a consultant to look at Southeast Asia, Eastern Europe, South America to set up an R and D center.、Hmm. And he came back and he said, "You know what?" Mexico is really interesting. I'm like, really? Why? You know, my parents left Mexico because they felt Mexico was dangerous, corrupt, zero upward mobility, and for them who come from who came from a certain socioeconomic class that wouldn't have opportunities, they felt that the U.S. would have a lot more opportunities for them. So for me, I, I initially questioned it, but I looked at the data at the time: sixty thousand engineers were graduating every year. Culturally, a lot closer to you know California Silicon Valley culture than、uh, you know building teams in Eastern Europe or、uh, Southeast、uh, Asian countries,、uh, and also proximity. It's much easier and faster to get from San Jose to Guadalajara than it is from San Francisco to Bangalore. Yeah, and so we ended up going on a recruiting trip,、uh, and of the 15 engineers that we interviewed in Guadalajara. Our C two who had zero connections to Mexico said, "You know, these eight are as good, if not better, than the engineers we worked with at Google." That's、so、incredible. Like, All right, let's do this. And so at Uyala, we ended up building up an engineering team in Guadalajara. And one of the reasons that we were able to get the transaction, the exit for Uyala, was because we had built an aspirational brand, kind of Silicon Valley transplanted in Mexico, and they felt like we had a, a direct pipeline to talent. And so when we started Wiseline, we、uh, we started with 100% of our engineers and team in Guadalajara, Mexico. We had more of the commercial product and design people in the Silicon Valley,、uh, and then eventually we moved into digital services. So not just helping with the product strategy, but also the execution.、Uh, and then we just can, we just scaled incredibly fast in Mexico. That's amazing. So, what do you think has been the toughest part? Of managing a company when you've got, you know, two different countries that you're that you're really dealing with. Is there obviously we're hopefully just coming out of the pandemic,、uh, and uh, I'm an optimist on that.、Um, but 
we'll see what has kind of been the most challenging, I guess, especially over the last couple of years for you. Well, I think because we started WiseLine with our entire engineering team uh, in Mexico, in Guadalajara, and kind of the management team and salespeople in the U.S., we were remote from the start. Like we were remote first, and so it required that we have the right tools in place. And so mm-hmm. we started using Slack very early on. Uh, we were one of the early larger scale deployments of Google Hangouts at, at the time for for video conferencing. But there were a lot of things that we needed to work needed to work on culturally uh, because we didn't want to be a Mexican company. We wanted to be a global company. Uh, and so there are certain cultural nuances that don't translate very well in in Slack, and which I th- I think is also kind of uh, is is one of the foundations of why DE and I has always been very important because we've always felt like and during our onboarding process like we have an entire course on empathy. It's you need to. You need to understand that it's not what you say, it's what's understood and what's processed and what's heard. And so you need to really have insight into the culture of the people that you're speaking with. And I I think that that empathy that we build into our own culture uh, has also translated very well with our customers. So what your customer says isn't necessarily what they mean. And so you need to dissect it and really figure out, okay, you know, this customer needs this thing done because it's his job on the line. Yeah. And it's not, oh, wow, that that customer is being really, really difficult. And so we, from day one, started remote first. And as we continue to build out our operations globally, I think we benefited from that. So today we have, you know, almost 1,500 Wiseliners in Mexico across 40 different cities. Our major hubs are Guadalajara, Mexico City, Querétaro. But we have a bunch of other cities with 40 or 50 Wiseliners. In Colombia, we have over 300 people. We're also in Spain. And we built out a, an, a delivery team out of Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. Wow. Uh, so there, not only do you not have, do you have the, the cultural aspects that you need to think about, you also have, you know, 16-hour differences. That's incredible. Well, and I love the fact that, I mean, you're mentioning places where not many people are. Um, kind of pulling people from, I mean, the, for for resources. So I think that that's an incredible aspect to your business too. So if people are listening, I, I, when would they reach out to WiseLine? I mean, when you're when they're trying to think of a, a an idea that needs to be worked on. I mean, when would WiseLine be the company that they wanted to you know reach out to to get some help? So a lot of a lot of companies that are in the technical engineering services business, they have this idea of a single engineer that works on an hourly basis. And when we moved into digital services, we we started to model out what would a company that we would want to work with as a product company look like. And so we came up with this idea of a pod. A pod is five engineers for every two pods, get a UX designer, technical writer, project manager. And the reason for a pod is because inevitably people get sick, people go on vacation, uh, people leave the company. And so if you want predictability around delivering that product, you need, you know, there's, there's safety in numbers. And we didn't charge by the hour. We looked at sprints because we wanted to give customers something very deliverable and tangible. 
Um, and that's really the reason that the company grew very, very quickly. Over time now, we, we look at the entire life cycle of software development. And if a company is building technical solutions, uh, there's a, a very high likelihood that WiseLine can help with the ideation and strategy process, product strategy, the development of the technology in the cloud. If they're trying to figure out how they can leverage data to build machine learning driven applications, to have a more personalized experience, we can help with that. And we can also maintain applications. So once something has been built, do you really want your top-notch researchers continuing to maintain something that's kind of set it and forget it, we can help be that maintenance arm for, for your applications. And we work on a, a nearshore agile approach. And so we try to be in the same time zones as our teams because we want every single person that's working on technology to be able to get on a Slack thread and work out issues and not make it more of a waterfall interaction process where you send something you know, to India and then hope that it was interpreted correctly 12 hours later. And because we, we think that that matters and we think that that's the, that's where the world is, is going. No, it totally makes sense. And it's, uh, no, I love that because I think that that is a, you know, the concern when you're hiring, um, engineers outside of your office that it's, uh, or outside of the, you know, the U.S. If you're a U.S. company, that you're looking for, um, you know, to make sure that there's some sort of connection there, that they're really going to understand what you're talking about. But in a time when it's hard to hire engineers too, so I think you're really solving problems for people that it makes a ton of sense. So one of the things that I found with in talking to so many want to be entrepreneurs is that, uh, you know, they'll look at people like you who have come from Google, who have started, uh, started, you know, multiple companies and, and, uh, everything turned out perfect. I mean, you talked a little bit about the 2008, 2009 time. I heard some pain in there, um, at, at, at while you were trying to figure out whether or not you guys were going to be able to make it, but, I'd love to hear a story uh, where you had a big challenge, um, you know, whether it's WiseLine or, um, or, you know, anything else that you've done too, where you really felt like, gosh, that was, that was tough, but I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about business. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd love to. Well, it's, it's always hard. And um you know, right now we have two other companies. One is Serbi, uh, uh, a security company that I, I, I'm a lowercase founder of that one with our former CTO from WiseLine and my younger brother, who was also a co-founder at Uyala. Um, and this telehealth company that's targeting the U.S. Hispanic population that's leveraging the WiseLine business model where you have doctors who act as health coaches in Mexico that provide services to the Spanish-speaking uh, population in the U.S., and we have doctors in the U.S. Uh, if there's a handoff for prescriptions in persons or or oh, that's or amazing. And the thing is, it's always hard. It's always difficult. The numbers are stacked against you. Uh, your family, your health, your friends are all going to suffer, and that still doesn't guarantee success. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when we when we first started Uyala, there was a very large competitor in the space that had raised a hundred times the amount of capital that we had raised. 
they were 200 times bigger than we were. And every day we would read press releases uh, of a new big customer that they would sign. And, you know, as I would drive home at midnight, I would wonder, like, how in the world are we going to catch up? Mm -hmm. But by 6 a.m. the following morning, you needed to have a positive demeanor because you had people who were counting on you and you needed to deliver and you needed to work much, much harder. Now, the hardest part for me is when you are working that hard and there are these external forces that happen to you that you just cannot have an impact on. Like for us, it was the economic crisis. Uh, the good news is we had raised just enough money to survive just enough to get that next round of funding. But during that period, um, you know, as the finan global financial markets collapsed, October of 2008, our board came to me and said, you know what? No one has seen this since 1929. And so I think we need to get a binder done that CEO to help us navigate the waters. Like, okay, you guys are, and they were guys to, to, men um uh i'm like well you're the professionals okay let's let's go through a process and i i started to interview candidates but october of 2008 that year 2008 we we uh our revenues were three hundred thousand dollars so you can just imagine backdrop of the world's economic crisis since 1929 and a company that's only doing three hundred thousand dollars in revenue we weren't able to attract the best talent. Totally. So eventually I pushed back on the board. I'm like, look, this is just going to be a waste of time. We're not going to get great talent and we're probably going to run out of money and going through that process. They got really upset at me. Month over month, revenue improved. Quarter over quarter, revenue improved. Um, and then around March of 2009, because we weren't yet profitable, um, I went out and started fundraise. And after the 50th no, like... In 2008, we did $300,000 in revenue. In 2009, we did $3 million in revenue. Wow. But there was still so much uncertainty in the market that I couldn't get any VC to commit. And so I went back to the board and I'm like, look, the business is actually really, really good. The only thing we can change is the mouthpiece. So I'm like, I'd like to initiate the search for a CEO. And I don't, I don't know if it's imposter syndrome, but... I felt like I needed to get someone who did not look like me. I wanted to get the prototypical cover of a Business Week mm -hmm. article, mm -hmm. or Bloomberg article, right? Tall, full head of hair, white, look like a football player, look all American. And that's what I found. I, we, I ended up hiring uh, this great executive, Jay Fulcher, who had been the CEO of Agile Technologies, um, had been the CEO as a public company, sold it to Oracle, all American. And he joined at about the 80th, no, about the 100th pitch to VCs. Hmm. We continued to pitch. Eventually, um, we ended up getting about 170 no's. The 171st was the yes that saved the company. But it was A, that process was hard. It was a lot of pitches, a lot of rejection. But the personal angst for me was I had been the CEO, I no longer was the CEO. Okay, that happens. But then the biggest part and the hardest part for me was I felt like I had let down all other founders and tech workers who looked like me because there weren't a lot of Latinos in tech. And so my failure, I, I was assigning to the failure of everybody who looked like me. I'm like, oh, 
It's going to be less likely that VCs are going to trust another Latino coming in. That was tough. And I, and I almost left Uyala. Um, I ended up staying and it was a great experience to learn from Jay um, how to manage the board, how to fundraise much bigger tickets, how to build out an enterprise sales team. Um, but it, it was tough. It was really, really tough. Well, and I think you took all of those learnings and went and did it again. And, um, and it's, you know, WiseLine is such an incredible, um, incredible, incredible company that probably I always think like the journey that came before um, is always something that, you know, you are going to pick up pieces, whether that's, you know, who to allow to invest in your company or, um, or in some cases, whether or not you're going to, uh, you know, allow a new CEO to come in too. So I've had founders who have said that, that, you know, they, I just had Chip Wilson um, from Lululemon on and, uh, you know, he told an interesting story about when he decided to step down and had a new person come in and, and uh, you know, it was challenging. It was really challenging for him initially, but then it was challenging for the company. And at what point do you start to, you know, like see whether or not it's going to work out or not? And, um, or, and what point do you sort of say, hey, we need to regroup? So there's a lot of different um, challenges that I think people replacing yourself um, is uh, definitely not easy, but I think it's, it's sort of, um, you know, along the way, so many learnings, I think, for so many founders. So that's a that's a really great one. So what has been the most rewarding part of starting WiseLine? So I grew up poor and I have absolutely no problem saying that the reason I was going to be a doctor uh, was to make money. Again, the most successful person I knew, doctor. And, and that was that was my goal. Um, once I got to the Silicon Valley, I realized that there was another path. There were other paths to, uh, to getting financial security. Um, and then I was lucky enough to be Google pre-IPO. And when Google went public, I obviously, I was, I was still very junior. I got a lot of uh, pre-IPO stock options, which are great. Not enough to go out and buy an island or retire or focus on just angel investing. But it did give me the, the security to go out and start a company and, and not need a, a salary. But after the, this, this push, this drive for, for my entire life of just getting to financial security was realized, I was at, at a bit of a loss. Um, but then in 2010, we, um, when we were opening our operations in Guadalajara, Mexico, I realized that there was so much talent in Mexico, and obviously now the world that wasn't able to tap into the same opportunities that I had had being in the Silicon Valley. And so for me, I, I feel like I, like I had purpose again. And so this idea of, you know, some people call it conscious capitalism. I, I, I think of it as doing well and doing good. Totally. And so with, with WiseLine, one of the things that we've done because we've scaled very quickly and we scaled in a country that wasn't, on the forefront of everybody's, uh, you know, decision-making criteria on this is where I'm going to set up a development center. Uh, we had to invest in the local community. And I really do feel like 
Wiseline has been a key component of terraforming the tech ecosystem in Mexico. And how did we do it? And so about four years ago, we needed to hire 15 UX designers. And our head of UX had interviewed over 100 designers. She came back. She's like, look, none of these have an experience building applications that have, you know, 3 million concurrent video streams or 10 million uniques. Um, I'm like, but are they good? She's like, yeah, some of them are pretty good. I'm like, do you think we can train them? Mm-hmm. And she's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, let's try it. And so we opened up the six-week course, six nights a week, uh, four hours a night. Um, and we had about 300 people sign up for the program. We let 25 people in, 24 completed the program. We ended up hiring 15 of the 24. Uh, we saw that it worked really well. We tried it again for, for another skill set. And now we've expanded Wiseline Academy where we've taught over 40,000 people and these it's are free amazing. programs, free, completely free programs. Everything from weekend courses on Alexa skill development um, to year-long paid apprenticeship programs for UX or data engineering. Uh, and that, to me, is what really drives me. I feel that through Wiseline, we built a platform that, you know, it's a fantastic business. It's continuing to do well, but we're bringing more people into tech. Because talent is evenly distributed, experience and opportunity isn't. And I think through Wiseline, we're able to do that. No, and you definitely are. Well, thank you so much, Bismarck. So where do people find out more about Wiseline? W-I-Z-E-L-I-N-E dot com. And you can always email me, Bismarck at Wiseline dot com, B-I-S-M-A-R-C-K, or you can follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. Terrific. Well, I really enjoyed our conversation and I appreciate you making the time to do this. So thank you so much. And thanks everybody uh, for listening and for uh, subscribing to the Kara Golden Show too. Definitely give this podcast five star rating or this episode, I should say. It definitely helps the algorithm. And just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. Uh, And if you haven't already picked up a copy of my book, Undaunted, um, shares a little bit more about the story of building Hint, definitely uh, do that. And it's also available on Audible. We're here every Monday, Wednesday, and now Friday. We just added another day because we have so many incredible founders and CEOs that we are interviewing and, and people who are sharing so many stories, uh, failures, challenges uh, along the way that I think just help all of us to learn. So thank you again, Bismarck. Thank you, everybody, for listening and have a great rest of the week. Thank you, Kara. Great honor. Great pleasure. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. 
You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Kara Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.